Hello and welcome to Forefront 360, where we take you all around the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith. I'm Nate Mancini. I'm one of the founders of Forefront. I'm very excited to share this episode with you today. It was a breakout session led by Joy Ike that we recorded at Forefront Festival 22, Making New, earlier this year. It's called The Birds and the Bees, Pollination in an Age of Politicization. We hope you enjoy. What good is love if it doesn't cost a thing? If its tongue is filled with honey, but its heart is full of sting? Does it drip with pure conviction if its lips are laced with lies? Does it taste like fruitless fiction, never truly satisfied? Is it silky sweet or savory, but bitter in the belly? Smooth as it flows down each day, yet mercilessly heavy. I hear the city releasing a new sound, building things up instead of tearing them down. A slow growing hum, reverberating round, a brotherly love shaking the ground. It sounds so otherworldly because it sounds so full of hope. The sound awakening the sleepers and awakening the woke. Politically imperfect in its human-natured way, yet unwilling to succumb itself to the violence of the day. It's golden in its glory as it courses through the streets, and honor is the way it welcomes everyone it meets. It's incorrectly honest and yet gracious in its speech, appropriating truth forever crowning her as queen. This bumble is humble, a sound so pure and sweet, a melody offensive to the locust of deceit. It is an anger pacifier, a people qualifier, a rhythm pulsing, joy resulting, mercy magnifier. It has a frequency much higher than the highest seated king. It is a movement set on fire by the movement of its wings. This resonant vibration is shaking the foundation, earthquaking, overtaking intellectual explanation. And some will offer counterfeits that cater to consumers who take the bait, then eat the hate and die as opportuners. But those who listen for a sound of swelling activation will join this choir and inspire a blooming transformation. Brotherly love, generational. Love, congregational. Non-denominational pollination. Good. Um, I'm so excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this for a couple months now. And um, it's just such a treat to connect with um, Forefront. I first heard about them um, when I connected with Zach about a year and a half ago before the last Forefront Festival, I guess it was, in in, the summer of 2020. And um, I just love being in spaces where... um, we get to talk about art and culture um, and faith and how all of those things intertwine and work for the glory of God. I just get excited because I feel like God um, shows up there in a way that he doesn't anywhere else. And it's you could say that for every facet of culture and every industry, but I just love talking about pulling what isn't into what is. Um, and I just believe that God has created us to create. Uh, that poem is called Pollination. And uh, I wrote it at the top of the year, just after 
the dust settled um, from the holidays and I was back in Philadelphia and trying to get, um, that's all, that's all taken care of already, yeah. Um, I was back after the holidays and just trying to kind of ease into the year and figure out what was happening. Um, and as I slowed down after a busy December, everything was just starting to feel weird. And it was just like, something just feels off. And I couldn't place it. And if you're like me, uh, maybe you get so deeply entrenched in projects or you get so deeply um, consumed by whatever's happening in your life at any given point that you don't get the chance to take the time or you get the chance but you don't make make it a priority to take the time and stop and check in with yourself or um, spend time with God and uh, some people maybe you're not like me maybe you're someone who uses those the busyness as an opportunity to not you know not stop and take time um, and then I think maybe there are probably some of us who are like I've known something's been off for two years. Where have you been? Uh, I, I've been feeling this way, and I think we all have. Um, but for me, I feel like we're in a different place with it now. It almost feels like it's another layer of weirdness or offness. And everybody knows something's off, and we all feel it. So I was telling my neighbor, uh, who invites me to things all the time that I never go to, <laughs> I said, it's not that I'm not interested in going to things. It's just that I can't see myself being in a place where I have to pretend that things aren't weird. Uh, and I love being in spaces where we acknowledge that things are weird, right? Like, like a place like this where you, everyone's like, yeah, something's off, you know, we want to make all things new, make things right. Um, and we, we've acknowledged it and at the same time we're like, we're going to push through and we're going to be resilient because that's what people do. Um, but I find, especially as an artist and as someone who goes into places where people want you to be more of an entertainer, uh, to distract them from life, that um, I, I find myself in places where people don't want to um, deal with or talk about what's actually happening. So I don't really go to things that she invites me to. I just stay home and watch episodes of The Flash. <laughs> Don't judge me. I love Barry Allen. Uh, so when I start my year, uh, I like to ask myself three questions. What is it that I want to do differently from last year? What are the things that I loved uh, that made the last year great in my own personal life or creatively? And what am I supposed to do next? And I think we all kind of ask ourselves that as we enter the year, but I do it because for the greater part of the last 17 years, I've lived as a gig worker. So I'm going from project to project and that might be working on a new album or it might be working on a music video concept or uh, writing an article for a publication or a blog or something. Um, and these days it's more along the lines of coaching new artists through their creative process. So whenever there's nothing to do, I get a bit antsy. And part of it is just anticipation of what's next and getting excited and, and not knowing, but being excited at the possibilities. And then again, part of it is just because I haven't stopped to deal with what's going on in here. And that brings us back to the unsettled feeling. Uh, early last month, I was preparing for Martin Luther King Day um, in Philadelphia, an event that I was asked to 
perform at. And I was looking through my catalog of the songs that I've written over the years and trying to figure out what I wanted to share and how I was going to share it. And I felt deflated um, and defeated. Most of my songs typically work for that type of setting. Um, I always like to see what's going on in the world and kind of just process it and you know figure out how I'm going to share about it. But um, I've begun to feel like anything that I can say as it relates to justice, you know, we're talking about MLK Day, it's going to be muddied or confused, um, chewed up, processed, spit out through the cultural machine that so expertly now confuses everything anyone is saying until you don't know what you're talking about anymore. And it usually sounds like this. Blah. Blah, 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 green economy, blah, 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 bunny hugging, or blah, blah, blah. So, because it's so hard to engage, it's usually just easier to not say anything, which is really hard for a songwriter whose job is to say things and to sing things. So enter the poem Pollination. Uh, some people, I don't know if, if there's anyone in this room that gets a word for the year that they use to kind of like guide their year like joy or peace or hope or anything like that a couple people yeah i'm definitely one of those people i usually get a word and then it usually ends up showing up and popping up in all different types of ways and experiences um so i was looking for my word for the year um but instead i got a visual and it was the image of honey honey kind of trickling down from the ceiling uh, and then also uh, a bee that was kind of like flittering and flying around the room. And I don't know why, but as I was go coming into this year, I saw that visual so many times. So I, well, I started preparing for this, uh, this talk or this uh, performance at the MLK Day and, and found myself talking about honey. Um, I also noticed that as I was... As I was just trying to figure out, okay, what what is this and why why do I even care about it? Um, there were there were a couple of things that kept showing up in my life over the last year that were kind of like the precursors or the foretellers of the of the honey of the bee. Um, one of them was the dead bees that kept showing up in my art room last year. There were about three of them. Yeah, there was a bee that stung me. And then in December, there was a 30-foot uh, roll of wax that looked like a honeycomb when you roll it up. And I bought it. I had no idea what I was going to do with it, but I was just like, this is awesome! <laughs> so I bought it. Uh, and it's in my art room right now. I don't know how, well, how I'm going to use it, but I'm excited to figure that out. And so this is all before any of this stuff. All before I wrote the poem, but I think they were all kind of like little things dropping in to my like spirit as I was uh, kind of heading into this year. So then I started being like, oh, I love phrases like unbelievable and <laughs> believe in yourself. This makes so much sense. So I saw the pattern and I wrote the Martin Luther King Day poem. And as I started it, I started talking about honey and bees. And uh, it didn't make sense to me because I was just like, okay, how am I going to how am I going to work this in, talk about justice and honey and bees when I 
I'm not seeing any of that. Um, bees are cute, honey is sweet, Philly is neither of those. <laughs> Philly is thought of as the city of brotherly love, but it is actually not, uh, it's, it's known for that, but it's not thought of that. People don't really think of city as this like warm place. It's more thought of more so as like a grittier city. So when people think of Philly, they actually think of Will Smith and Cheese States. <laughs> That's what people think of, which says a lot about Philadelphia. So, Philly has also a few other names that people know it as. City of Brotherly Shove. <laughs> Philadelphia. This is like the most unattractive. <laughs> oh no. Uh, it's also called Philadelphia, or nicknamed Philadelphia. Uh, it's also nicknamed Crap Hole. <laughs> for its potholes. And in the last two years, it's been, uh, it's received a newer nickname that isn't flattering and it's not funny or inventive, Philadelphia. Philadelphia has become known for having the highest second crime rate in the country next to Chicago. And this year, already in its first full month, the crime rate has doubled since this time last year. Which means that the frequency at which I hear gunshots in my neighborhood has also doubled. By mid-June last year, there had already been six murders on the street next to mine. So, maybe you can imagine why I was so frustrated entering into this MLK Day event, trying to figure out how to talk about hope when it didn't feel like there was a lot of hope to be had. And the trend as it goes in Philadelphia and really everywhere on social media is that we spend a day like Martin Luther King you know, Martin Luther King Day talking about love, brotherly love in Philadelphia till we're blue in the face. Um, but it doesn't really mean anything because we spend the other 364 days tearing people up on social media. So I've been exhausted with the idea of creating short-lived moments that don't really amount to anything other than making feel, people feel better as if they've done something when we go home, we kind of enter right back into the pattern. <laughs> and the feel-good sentiments, they just, they're paper thin for me now. Uh, I've always asked people to call me, uh, not to call me an entertainer, because I, I have always wrestled with that word of, as someone who goes and just gives people good moments so that they can, you know, forget about life. Um, and it's really changed the type of venues that I perform in and the types of events that I do for that reason. And so it's hard to hear these days politicians even talk about, even, you know, recite words from the I Have a Dream speech when it feels like we are in a, some kind of a nightmare. And just to be clear, I'm not talking about the virus. I'm talking about all the things that have been unearthed by the, as a byproduct of the virus. So that's the increased crime rates, the broken educational systems, broken healthcare systems, the rich are getting richer, and as I see it every day in my neighborhood, the poor are getting poorer. How do we create in this cultural climate? And that brings us to now, and I think is probably the question that everyone's asking in their sessions in some kind of way. I really enjoyed listening to David Kim this morning because I knew that anyone that was coming to a conference about called making things new, making new, um, especially with the last few years that we've had, was going to talk about it in some, in some respect. 
So this is for me the most important question. I think it's the most important question right now. It's the most important question, uh, especially for artists and for artists who follow Christ. Um, it's the most important question for artists to believe that what they do, what we do is not about us um, and that what we create is a reflection of the creator and that who we represent is the God of hope, love, and even justice. He calls us to a higher standard that doesn't mimic the world, but instead is one that's set apart and it's not looking for approval. What's interesting about the last few years is that so much of what's been happening in the world has revolved around proving something. Um, proving how anti-racist you are. Proving how gender fluid accepting you are. Following the way is not about trying to subliminally tell someone that they're the diversity hire. It's not about watching out of the corner of someone's uh, out of the corner of your eye to make sure that someone says say her name they say her name but we live in a culture where proof is everything and if you don't have proof then it doesn't mean anything the way is a system that doesn't require proof it gets respect because it's better and because it works it's not that there isn't proof it's just that it doesn't require that and I'll share more about that later. Most of us feel like the way, I, and I call it the way, I don't know, I just love that because that's what the, the church used to be called, the way. Um, most of us don't feel like following Christ actually does get respect or that it, it does that, that it works. We don't feel that way in the world that we're currently living in. And I think it's because most of us are not following that way. And it's not because we don't follow Christ. It's not because we don't um, believe the Bible. It's because we'd rather we'd rather deal with something that's easier. We'd rather go with what doesn't require as much work. We're choosing the word of the world over the word. We put our trust in a system that changes the rules every few years. Three years ago, woke was the standard. We would even describe people as the good ones if we said they were woke. She cool, she cool, she woke. Mm -hmm. I, remember, I remember having conversations with my sister and, and uh, you know, if we were talking about a friend, we would use that terminology, you know? But as of 2022, woke is a joke, right? It even has an ism now, wokeism. Uh, despite the fact that we can't keep up with the constant flux and the things that are constantly changing, we're building our foundation on quicksand, not on something solid that can't be washed away by a, a riot or the increasing demand that you choose one political party over another. We'd rather do whatever is socially acceptable because it's easier. So back to this question I've been asking myself. What does cultural transformation look like in the middle of so much deterioration and why even make art? And then how? The reason I think God has been giving me the visuals of bee and honey is because I think he's trying to speak to me 
about the work that we do and the way our work flourishes. And as I was sharing in the panel we just did, God often speaks to me through the one thing that I can't control or take credit for, nature. And so I want to share a passage for you that kind of lays this bare. But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has an excuse. So sometimes I forget what I'm supposed to be doing until I stop. And I read scripture like this and I ask God, Oh God, what am I supposed to be doing and how am I supposed to do it with you? He always points me back to creation. And this year he's talking to me specifically about my sound and my movements through bees. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but it seems like the more everyone talks, the louder everything gets and the harder it is to hear. The louder it gets, it's harder it is to hear and the harder it is to hear, the easier it is to tune everything out until the only thing that's left is silence. But like I suggested a few minutes ago, I don't think there's anything as silence because everything is moving. And if it's moving, it's making a sound. And even the things that we can't see, like wind, are moving, and they make sound. You move even when you're sleeping, and anything that makes a noise is moving because sound waves move. That's why when you roll your windows down and then you pump up the bass, the whole car vibrates. <laughs> sound, when it's at the right frequency, can even shatter glass. And sound, when it's at the right frequency, can shatter hearts and can break spirits and can make our soul sick and can create a culture of fear and war. And we know this because we are currently living this reality. Movement creates sound and sound creates movement. And it happens so rapidly right now. It's happening so rapidly right now in our country that it feels like we're in the middle of a whirlwind of sound. It's like a tornado ripping down everything in its path. And I've had to ask myself over the past two years, how do I respond? Do I just let this thing mow me down? Or do I try and change the sound? What would that even look like? If everything is making sound, how do I actually cut through the noise instead of add to it? You might be surprised to know that Bees buzz not to intimidate or scare, but to get pollen out of flowers. In fact, the buzzing is just a byproduct of the movement of their wings. <clears throat> the vibration they create shakes the pollen off of the male flower's anther. When they go to the female flower, that same vibration takes the pollen off of their bodies and puts it on the flower. This is where we get the expression, the birds and the bees. <laughs> it's a pollination process, and it's how flowers are created. A lot of things flower, not just flowers, but, you know, vegetables. Most things have flowers. Um, and it's estimated that a third of the food we eat is a direct byproduct of bee pollination. Apples, fruits, and veggies. And then almonds are almost totally dependent on bees and pollination. So bees buzz because they're working. I don't actually think that's such a huge revelation. And we probably could, could have figured that out without going through Wikipedia, which is what I did. <laughs> 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 uh, 
But um, most of us associate bees buzzing with attack or impending attack, right? We don't think of bees as buzzing just to like, as a byproduct of them moving. So the reason bees buzz is just because they're doing work. They're just being about their business. They're going to the flowers to get nectar to make honey. And then the bee pollination process happens as a part of that. What was most fascinating about learning about bees is that when they're transferring pollen, they buzz in the key of C. They actually play the middle C note. I think that's fascinating because that's the note that all of music orients around. All of music notation. And it makes me think of what it might look like if we were right in the middle of the center of God's will just because we were doing the work we were supposed to be doing in the midst of all of the other craziness happening in the world. So why does that matter? Maybe you're like, I am trying to do my work. I'm trying to do whatever I can. I'm trying to be the good person I'm supposed to be. I'm trying to live well. I'm trying to love well and navigate all of this. And the tornado is destroying everything. What do we do and how do we create? This is a passage that has been... Oh, yeah, that's the guy who got knocked... Yeah, that's bees. Yeah. <laughs> that's what happens. Uh, yeah. How do, we, how do we do anything then, right? If we're trying to be about the business, but it doesn't seem to be working right now. I want to read this passage from 1 Corinthians. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love... I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So I want to suggest that if we are going to cut through the noise, the only way to do that is with love. And... That's a no-brainer as well, because we all know that as Christians. Faith, hope, and love. Love is the greatest of these. But what is love? For most of our lives, we've been taught that love is a verb, and that if you love someone, you prove it. You buy them flowers, and you spend time with them. You say nice things. You put your hair behind your ears. <laughs> toss your head like that. <laughs> but... For as many times as I've read 1 Corinthians over the course of my life, it only dawned on me during the pandemic and all of this craziness that the passage has nothing to do with our, our outward actions. It has everything to do with the posture of our heart. And then even that is a movement because that's about submission and bowing down and being surrendered to God. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. We all know this verse, but what happens when the sound of justice is void of mercy or when mercy lacks humility? Might we get a social justice movement that demands punishment for others but pardons for itself? 
Would we get a generation of humble braggers posting photos of how benevolent they are, how committed they are to the cause and the slogans and the pronouns and the social media blackouts that prove that they love people? Would self-righteousness be mistaken for righteousness? Or is love enough even when it's not a show, or especially when it's not a show? How do we cut through the noise? I think we cut through the noise when we don't compete with it, because love is not a show. But that's a hard thing to remember when everything is a show these days and when social media makes everything a show. If you want to cut through the noise, just love. Be about the work of love. I had to stick that in there. <laughs> love amplifies anything that we could ever say or do. It casts out fear. Love requires that you get things straight in here before you ever do anything out there. If you want to know what love is or if you start to get confused about what it looks like, keep 1 Corinthians 13 by your side. And if you ever start to move prematurely, check the movement of your heart to determine whether it's actually postured in submission to Christ before it's postured in submission to others. Love elevates the frequency of any movement we could ever make. It has the frequency much higher than the highest seated king. It is a movement set on fire by the movement of its wings. So while I was doing research for this, um, I discovered that bees pollinate 80% of all the flowers in the world. And that bees are dying off at an alarmingly rapid rate. It's, a, it's said that between 2020 and spring of last year, we lost 45% of our bee population. Which is crazy to me. Um, partly it's due to pesticides and then destruction of forests for the lumber industry. But there's also a strong argument that radio waves have a major part to do with this, especially with the increase of frequencies and the acceleration of technological advances over the last two years. I don't know if you can imagine a world without flowers, but I can't. And uh, I have plants all over my apartment, everywhere. And I can't imagine not having those things with me all the time. What happens when worker bees die and there's no one left to do the work? What happens when kingdom workers die and there's no one left to create and when there's no one left to love? What happens when everything stops flourishing? Flowers multiply as a result of the pollination process. If the flowers die, the bees lose their source of nectar. And if the bees don't have nectar, they can't make honey. And honey is one of the only foods on the face of the earth that is said to have an eternal shelf life. They've even done excavating and found honey in old Egyptian tombs that are still made that still maintain their integrity. And honey is one of the only few things, just like salt, that has one or two primary purposes: to heal and to preserve. You can eat it too, but heal and preserve. Our job as creators and artists and followers of Christ is not to point the finger and not to condemn or to cancel, but to heal and preserve. Some will offer counterfeits that cater to consumers who take the bait and eat the hate and die as opportuners, 
But those who listen for a sound of swelling activation will join this choir and inspire a blooming transformation. Pollination. Mm-hmm. <laughs>